If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. We've been in this section of Ephesians now for a very, very long time, but there's so much gold here to uncover. Today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, just one verse, uh, but it's going to take us two weeks to cover this. It's, it's such an important verse, and it will be such a valuable verse to us. Uh, let's look at it simply. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Uh, this is a, a focus, a subject that people are fascinated by. People ask many questions about this. How, how can I know God's will? How can I know God's will about who it is that I should marry? How can I know God's will about uh, what school I should attend? How can I know God's will about whether or not I should change jobs or take some new opportunity. How can I know God's will about whether I've been called into the ministry in a vocational sense? How can I know God's will for the rest of my life? How can I know God's will? And that's an important question. The Bible encourages us to ask that question. It says here that we should understand God's will. And we see that same command issued throughout the New Testament. In, in fact, in the book of 1 John, the Bible says those who know and do the will of God will live forever. And so it's a good question and it's an important thing for us to study. Imagine if we somehow knew God's will and follow God's will in every area of life. What if you knew exactly what was in the heart and mind of God that you never made a mistake, you never made the wrong choice? What if we could exactly know God's will? What if you knew God's will about precisely the person you should have married? Would you be married to the person you're married to now? I mean, just think about it. Hopefully so, we'll, we'll see as we get to the end of the message. Uh, what, if, uh, what if you always bought the right house and took the right job? What if you always bought the right stock? Have you ever wondered that? And so I was uh, reading a, an article just a week or so ago uh, that pointed out that Netflix, do you know what Netflix is? Netflix, if you would have purchased the stock 20 years ago, October of 2002, you could have purchased it for 37 cents a, sh a share. And if you would have sold it this last October, you could have sold it for $700 a share. And so a $100 investment would be $25,000 and a $10,000 investment would have been $1.9 million. What if we could always know the heart and the will of God? Well, the Bible has much to say. Maybe not about what stock you should buy, but, but maybe we'll get into this and see how can we know God's will. Well, I want to give you a big promise, uh, and then we'll see if over the next couple of weeks if the Bible uh, fulfills all of our expectations, but we can know the will of God. We can know what is in the heart of the Father about the decisions that we should make day in and day out. We can know the will of God. We can know the will of God about who we should marry, when we should retire, what job we should take. We can know the will of God. And I want to try to show that to you from God's word. Now, first, let's begin by dispelling some, in, some myths 
about the will of God, I think very often people believe that God has drawn this single line, this thin line for each of our lives, and it's our responsibility to make sure that if, as we go down the pathways of our lives, that we exactly stay on that line and that any deviation, the smallest mistake and the most minor decision will get us off that line and we'll be living outside of God's will. I, I think people often think that there's only one right way. That everything, whether it is the person you marry, the job you take, the toothpaste that you buy, there is a right and a wrong, and if we get it wrong, then we're living outside the will of God. And because we think that way, we see everything as a right and wrong choice, and we really, I think, ratchet up the pressure that leads us ultimately away from trusting in the Lord. Here are some things that happen when we, when we misunderstand God's will. First of all, we have stress and anxiety over decisions that we should not have stress and anxiety. Secondly, we can have paralysis uh, of any kind of decision making because people are so scared they're going to make the wrong decision that oftentimes people make no decision, which is the wrong decision. Another thing it can lead to is uh, for people to engage in just wacky spiritual practices or the search of some uh, very odd coincidences in life, and that just gets us out of a, of a biblical understanding of what it means to follow the Lord. And then maybe most importantly, when we misunderstand what the will of God is, then it keeps us from the things that God wants us to most focus on, and those are the things that we're going to see today. So we read it once, but I want us to see it again. Look back at Ephesians 5, 17. Let's dig a little deeper. It says, so don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. The word so connects us back up with verse 16, the previous verse, which says, making the most of time because the days are evil. It's important that we can make right decisions today. It's important that we know God's will today because time is short, when he says the days are evil, that refers to the brevity of life, but it also refers just to the pressures in this world to get us off the right path. There are so many distractions, there are so many temptations, there are so many evil, wicked things that are pushing us in the wrong direction. The days are evil. We must know God's will. And then when he says, don't be foolish, do you see that there in, there in verse 17? So don't be foolish. That tells us that many people are what? They're foolish. He wouldn't say don't be foolish unless many people were being foolish. So many people get this wrong. So many people get the will of God wrong. They don't understand the nature of God's will and then they make decisions contrary to God's will and then all kinds of consequences happen. They happen in our lives and they happen in the lives of those around us. He says, don't be foolish. This is important. And then he says, understand. See it right there in verse 17? Understand what the Lord's will is. That's good news. Because he would not command us to understand what God's will is unless we could 
understand what God's will is. So that's both a command to do it, but it's a promise that we can do it. You can know what God's will is. Sometimes we think that God's will is so mysterious, and we'll talk about that this morning, but we think God's will is so mysterious we cannot know it, or we certainly cannot know it for sure. But here, since he has commanded us to know God's will, we know that we can know it. We can know it. So what is the will of the Lord? Well, to avoid approaching this like some spiritual tarot card, I think what we have to do is to look to Scripture. Uh, we, we can't just in our minds imagine here's what God's will is or here is the way I think we should determine and discern God's will. We're people of the book and we need to turn to the book. We need to see what the Bible says about God's will. So as I said, it'll take us two weeks, but today I want to talk about what God's will is not. I want to clear up some of these things. We'll look to the Bible and we'll determine what God's will is not. And then next week, Lord willing, no pun intended, we will learn what God's will is. Okay. We'll learn some specific strategies, Bible strategies for how to know and understand God's will. So the calculus of God's will, what God's will is not, letter A, God's will is not contrary to the Bible. God has spoken through his word. These words are not the collection of the thoughts of man, but these are the words of God. In fact, the Bible says very specifically in 2 Peter, that none of these words come from man. They come from God through man, but all of these are the words of God. The Apostle Paul said it this way, all scripture is inspired by God. It is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. This is God's truth, and God's will is never contrary to what God has said about his will in his word. In fact, to go one step further, we cannot know that anything is absolutely certain unless we read it in the Bible because this is not only God's word, the God's authority, but this is the only thing that has real authority. We can't know that anything is the truth unless we see it in God's word. Occasionally, I'll hear somebody say, God has spoken to me. And even before they get to the next sentence, I get really nervous about that. Now, I don't get nervous because God can't speak to a person, because God can, and not because I'm quick to doubt that God has spoken, but I have heard some of the craziest things in the world, and so have you, that follow the statement, God has spoken to me. And I know God hasn't said all of those things that people say after they say God has spoken to me. In fact, I think he has not said most of the things that people say after they say that God has spoken to me. I remember one Easter Sunday morning in another place, uh, maybe 10 or 12 years ago, uh, a, uh, a woman came and found me uh, in my study on Easter Sunday morning, a woman I did not know, 
She's all dressed up for Easter service, I could tell. And she said, Pastor, the Lord told me that I am to sing in the worship services today. And I said, well, you know, we've, we've actually got everything planned out, but I appreciate your willingness to assist us. And, uh, you know, if you'll, if you'll give me your name, if we, ever, you know, if we ever have a need, we'll give you a call. I mean, I was trying to uh, tamper the situation down a little bit. And she said, no, Pastor, the Lord has told me today, today I'm to sing in your service. And um, we went back and forth, back and forth. And listen, this woman was, uh, this wasn't a trick she was trying to play. She was convinced, this stranger, she was convinced that God had told her. And um, she, um, she was pretty critical. I can't believe a pastor, a man of God would go against something that God has said to do. And so that gave me an idea. And I said, well, you know what? I just prayed and God said to me that you were not supposed to sing. <laughs> she, she stomped out. That was the end of that conversation. Listen, you should always get nervous when somebody says, God said, and what they say next is not in the pages of scripture. This is our authority, right? And it doesn't matter who said God said, even if your pastor said God said, the only thing we know that God has said is what's in the pages of Scripture. But how do people get this wrong? Uh, when we say that God's will will never be contrary to his word, how do people mess this up? Well, here's how it happens. People have a strong desire to do something. Me and you, I can be as guilty of this as anybody. We have a strong desire to do something. And sometimes that something is contrary to God's word. People may have a strong desire to leave their spouse. People may have a strong desire because uh, for some reason the grass looks greener on the other side of the fence. People may have a strong desire to take something from the workplace that doesn't belong to them. People might have a strong desire to do something that is dishonest. And so it starts with a strong desire and then we work really, really hard to come up with reasons to justify doing what we want, it, what we want to do. I really want to do it, and if I could just sit here and think about it long enough, I'll come up with some pretty good-sounding reasons to do it. And then we couch that justification in prayer, and we pray, we pretend to pray about our coming up with reasons to do what God's Word clearly says not to do. And then we say things like this, Pastor, God told me to do this. Or, uh, I've prayed about this. And I know that this is God's will. Lord has given me some peace about doing this. Or, or what really gets me is people will say, I've prayed and the Lord has shown me that this is an exception to his word. Listen, God's word, God's will, I should say, is never, ever contrary to his word. There are no exceptions. Uh, what you have heard is either your own justification or it is a lie from, from the lips of Satan. It is not a message from God because God will never contradict his word. Do you know how many times, if you read through the narrative of scripture and if you look at the last 2,000 years of history since the Bible canon was closed, do you know how many times God has made an exception to his word? Zero. And he's not going to start with you. 
1 Samuel 15, 29, the eternal one of Israel does not lie or change his mind. God's will never contradicts God's word. Now, letter B, God's will is not detailed before it is general. Now, this is the most important thing I'll say this morning. When people talk about God's word, they're usually, God's will, I should say, they're usually talking about their desire for some detailed instruction about how to handle this situation or, or that situation. Now, we're going to get to the detailed answers before this little two-sermon series is over, I promise you. But let me frustrate you for a moment. The detail of God's will does not become, does not come before the general part of God's will. If you want to go through the door of the details of God's will, first you have to go through the door of God's general will. If you were to call me tomorrow from home and you were to say, Pastor, can you tell me what door I go through to get to your study here at the church, you know, where I sit and study and prepare for sermons, what door do I need to go through to be in your study? Well, I would say, well, first you need to pull into the south parking lot and there will be uh, three glass doors there. You need to come through those doors, one of those doors. And you might say, no, no, pastor, I, I'm, I'm not asking you that. I want to know, I just want to go through the door of your study. And I would say, well, listen, you're welcome to come through the door of my study. But before you come through the door of my study, first you have to go through another door. The door of my study is behind another door. First, you have to go through the outside doors, and then you can go through the inside doors. Does that make sense? That's just logical. And when we're wanting to know the specific details of God's will, God will reveal this to us. And I'm going to show you how God reveals this to us uh, this week and next week. But before we go through the detailed door, first we have to go through the general door. There's some general things the Bible says about God's will, and it must start with these. I don't want to just be too simplistic, but uh, if you want to know the will of God, the easy answer is just read your Bible. Just read your Bible. In fact, there are six places in the New Testament where the Bible says the Lord's will is, and it says something. Now you say, well, that doesn't tell me if I should buy this house or that house. Well, no, uh, perhaps not. We'll see in a moment. But that's the first door you go through in order then to get to the second door of the detailed will of God. So let me just quickly, very quickly, go through the six things the Bible says, these are God's will. Number one, it's God's will that you be saved. It all starts with that. If you're not a child of God, then God's not interested in giving you counsel about a house to buy or a person to marry or a job to take. All God wants to do is to lead you to the place where you'll trust what Jesus has done for you for your forgiveness. That you will accept Christ. That you will surrender to the Lord. It starts with you being saved from your sins and be adopted into the family of God. Number one, it is God's will that you be saved. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but he is patient with you, not wanting or not willing 
that any should perish, but all to come to repentance. God's will is that you be saved. That's where it starts. That's general, I know, but you can't get to the detailed until you go through the door of the general. Number two, it is God's will that you be spirit-filled. Now, this was a whole message on February the 27th, and I will not preach that whole message again, uh, but we learned that right here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, the very next verse from the one we're looking at today, the Bible says to be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, which talks about you relinquishing control of your life and allowing God to control, allowing the Holy Spirit to control uh, your life. Now, why would this be a part of God's will? Well, because God's not going to share with you the specific will he has for some decision if you're not willing to follow the Lord. If you're not willing to surrender and follow the Holy Spirit, then why would he tell you some specific things that you need to do if you're not willing on a more general, maybe even a generic basis to follow the Lord, to surrender to the Lord? So long before you go through the door of his specific detailed will, we have to understand the will of God is that we be filled with the Spirit. The Bible says it plainly. It is God's will that you be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. Now, the next one, it is God's will that you be sanctified sexually. I know there's a tough word in there, sanctified, but the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, this is God's will. Now, with all six of these, it says this is God's will. What is it? This is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality. Now, it seems like that would be an odd thing if there are only six things to do in the general will of God. Why would he refer to this? But here's why it's important. Because if you're not willing to deny your flesh, your fleshly base desires, then there's no point in God sharing his detailed will. If you're not willing to follow God in these areas, in this bigger area, if you're going to be led by your, by your flesh, then there's no point in God sharing his detailed will. So he says here, the, the will of God is that you be sanctified in your sexuality. You, you know, let, let me, and we can preach a whole message on each of these, but let me just speak a, a brief word to those in our church mostly young people, but those in our church that are trying to decide who they're going to marry. That's a pretty big decision. But I'll tell you as your pastor on the authority of God's word, you cannot discern the answer to the question who you should marry while you are sexually active. And this is the this is the verse, 1 Thessalonians 4.3, that supports that as well as others. But when, when you're sexually active with somebody, uh, your feelings, your quote-unquote wisdom or discernment, all of that is suspect. Uh, none of that is reliable. You, you don't know whether you're following God's will or you're just following your hormones. Let's be honest. Sin is sin and it has consequences. No, first you have to go through the door of sanctifying your sexual appetite 
before you can go through the detailed door of knowing God's will in this matter of, of life. I'll tell you just a, a quick story. 25 years ago, I had two very close friends that um, both loved the Lord, uh, both in ministry, and both in very serious relationships with, uh, with their girlfriends. And both of them deciding whether or not they should marry these young women. Both of them, in fact, did marry their girlfriends. And both of those marriages imploded and they completely destroyed those men's ministries. They're no longer either one of them in the ministry. How did those men make such a decision, such a bad decision, when all the people around them were telling them, this is a bad idea. You do not need to marry her. This is a disaster. How did these men, otherwise very, very much men of wisdom with a heart for the Lord, how did they both make such bad decisions when everybody else could see it was an obvious, obviously wrong decision? They did not first go through the door of First Thessalonians 4.3. And they could not trust their heart in that situation they had put themselves in. And they made decisions that had consequences that ring throughout their lives. Well, number four, it is God's will that you be submissive. Uh, we see this in 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, says, submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do, not, who do what is evil and, and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will, he says, it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. He says, it is God's will that we be submissive. Why would that be important here? Well, again, it, God's not going to give his detailed will to us if we're not willing in a more generic sense to just be submissive to, to his will. If we're not willing to be submissive to his authority. Now, how do we show that we're submissive to the authority of God? Well, we show that we are submissive first to the authorities that God has put in our lives. Whether they're government authorities, whether it's a family authority, whether it's a workplace authority, church authority, it's when we're subject to the authorities that God has placed over us, when we are submissive to those authorities, to parents perhaps, then we have demonstrated we're submissive to the authority of God. I, I used to tell my, my teenagers back when I was a youth minister, you cannot be rebelling against your parents and submitting to God at the same time because part of submitting to God is submitting to the authorities God has placed in your life. And two of the authorities he's placed in your life are mom and dad. So we show our submission to God by being submissive to the authorities in our lives. And so he says here, what is the will of God? What is the general will of God? Learn to be submissive to God and show it by being submissive to the authorities uh, in, our, in our lives. Number five, it is God's will that you be suffering. That seems odd, right? That you be suffering. But we read it in 1 Peter 4, 19. Let those who suffer according to God's will, according to God's will, it says, will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. Why, why would suffering be a part of this? Well, again, as long as your life goal is to be as comfortable as you can be, 
then you're not going to be willing to do the specific will of God. And so God's not going to reveal his specific will. I can't say that word. God's not going to reveal the detailed will until you're first willing to go through the door of the general will. Be willing to suffer for the things of God. Number six, it is God's will that you be thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in everything for this is the will of God. Uh, Pretty straightforward. Here, the desire uh, to take credit for things, that's what God is talking about. No, God is the one who deserves the credit for all good things that are in our lives. And God's not going to reveal his specific will as long as we have the attitude that we're going to take credit for all the good decisions that we make in life. Now, next week, we're going to talk about what it means to have your mind transformed. But here's, here's what I want you to see here. If we will pursue these six things, where the Bible clearly says this is the will of God. It's the will of God that you be saved. It's the will of God that you be sanctified in your sexual conduct. It is the will of God that you be controlled by the Spirit. It's the will of God that you have a thankful heart. It's the will of God that you submit to authorities. It's the will of God that you be willing to suffer for the things of God. If you focus on that, the Bible says that God will transform your mind. Your mind, Romans 12, 2, we're going to dig into this verse next week. Your mind will be changed. It will be transformed because you focus on this will of God, these six things clearly revealed in Scripture. You know what happens? This is going to scare some of you, but it'll be freeing as well. You know what happens if you'll focus on these six things, revealed will of God, and you allow this to transform your mind? Are you listening? Then you can do whatever you want to do. Now, that almost seems reckless, right? Pastor, you're standing up and telling all the young people in this church they can just do whatever they want to do. Well, sort of. If they'll start with these six things, if they'll start with being saved and sanctified and spirit-filled and submissive and and, and, and willing to suffer and, and a heart of thanksgiving, if they'll start with these six things, their heart and mind will be so transformed They could just do whatever they want to do because their desires will line up with the desires of of God. I I read a book that helped me see the importance of these these things years ago. And it's by a a pastor uh, whose name is John MacArthur, maybe familiar to some. But I just want to read to you a a line from that book, just one line, uh, a couple of sentences. He says, if you are doing all five of the basic things, I put them in six categories. He takes the same six, puts them in five categories, but the very same things. He says, if you're doing all five of the basic things, do you know what the next principle of God's will is? Do whatever you want. If those five elements of God's will are operating in your life, then who is determining what you want? God is. Can I tell you, this will seem unimportant, but hang with me a moment. Can I tell you how I decorated the groom's cake for my wedding? I mean, I didn't actually decorate it. Somebody else did, but I asked them to decorate it with a Bible verse. And I'm not trying to be more 
some super spiritual person, so don't hear this story that way. But when I was deciding whether or not to propose to Donna Reed as, uh, as my wife, I was scared to death. Uh, everybody I knew uh, just about had a bad marriage. And they, um, many of them had lost their marriages. Some were about to lose their marriages. And some were, they were going to stay, but they were stuck and miserable. And those people were at least as smart as me, probably much more so. A lot of those people loved the Lord and read their Bible and went to church. And I was so worried that I would make the same mistakes that many of those people had made. And I was, I was scared to death. And then I picked up this little book by John MacArthur that I referenced a while ago. It's probably not 40 or 50 pages long, just simply called God's Will. Had those five or six things in it. And I read those things and I decided that with the help of the Holy Spirit, the best I could, I would just focus on those things. I would try the best I could to be, I was already saved, but to be spirit-filled and sexually pure. And uh, I would focus on being submissive and willing to suffer and having the heart of thanksgiving. And I would ask God to transform my heart. And of course, I was never perfect in any of those things, but but as I went through that, my heart's desire was to marry Donna Reed. And so I proposed, and we were married, and I had this written on my cake. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Listen, I, we're going to talk a lot more about knowing God's will, and there is more to know. But really, it's as simple as this. If you will seek to follow God's revealed will, the undebatable, unquestionable will as it's presented in these six things, your heart will be so transformed you can just do whatever you want. Just whatever you want. God will give you the delight of your heart. And so, God's Detailed will does not come before God's general will. Does that make sense? Letter C, we'll go through this quickly. God's will is not circumstantial. Often people look for these weird circumstances, and when it seems like two things line up in an uncanny way, then that must be the will of God. I think this is the most common way people determine God's will, but listen to your pastor. This is the worst way to determine God's will. Uh, people will say things like this, well, God opened a door, so I must walk through it. God gave me an opportunity. Somebody offered me a job. Uh, the, the pretty little lady at work was friendly to me and there was just an opportunity there. Uh, he asked me out. She, she's willing to marry me. And we make decisions based on circumstances, opportunities, uncanny coincidences. And we just assume 
And we can couch it. We're pretty good at couching this in spiritual language. But we just assume that since God is in control of everything, that if there's just an opportunity, then that must be the will of God. The Bible never says to find God's will that way. And there are plenty of examples in the Bible where it specifically says not to. I think about the time that David was uh, fleeing from King Saul, who was trying to kill him. And David was hiding in a cave where Saul couldn't find him. Saul and his army, they're walking through the valley and they stop. There are hundreds of caves in the side of the mountain. Saul, the king, decides he needs to go to the restroom and he picks one of those caves. Guess which cave it was? The cave that David was hiding in. And so he comes in and he's relieving himself. And so David's um, friends that were hiding with him said, now's your chance. God has given you an opportunity. There's, what a coincidence that he would choose this cave. And David said, no, the word of God said it's wrong to rise against God's appointed leader. He said, I will not make a decision based on circumstances. I think about the story in the New Testament where Paul and Silas were in prison and there was an earthquake, uh, a God orchestrated earthquake and the chains that were binding Paul and Silas and the gates that were, that were keeping them locked up, all of that falls away. And Paul and Silas could easily have said, wow, what a, what a circumstance. Obviously, God wants us to, to go. And we could have just run out of the place. But no, Paul and Silas believed that God had led them to that prison to witness to the guards at that prison. And Paul and Silas, despite the circumstances, stayed put right there in prison with no doors and no shackles. And they refused to leave because they would not be led by circumstances. They'd be led by, by the Lord. Circumstances are as likely to lead you in a wrong direction as they are to lead you in a right direction. I think you'd be better off buying a magic eight ball than using circumstances to determine God's will. Let us take away the vote that circumstances has in us determining God's will. Letter D, God's will is not incompatible with the pursuit of knowledge and wisdom. Uh, often people will so spiritualize this process that, that they don't, they, they just jettison the normal ways that we would gain information and gain wisdom. But the Bible does not say that it is unspiritual for us to study something, to research it, to ask for advice. In fact, the Bible says, Jesus said, Luke 14, 28, which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it or not? He says, no, if you're trying to make a decision, you need to, you need to study, you need to research. Proverbs 15, 22 says that there's safety in a multitude of counselors. When we're making a decision, we ought to ask some other people what they think. So determining God's will is not incompatible with doing some study and getting some advice and making sure we have all of the information. It's not that there's a secular process and then a spiritual process and we need to avoid the secular and do the spiritual. No, God works through all kinds of wisdom. All kinds of wisdom. Well, letter E, God's will is not mysterious. Uh, God loves us. God loves his children. 
Does it make sense that God would try to keep his will so mysterious that none of us could figure out what it is? No, God wants us to know. Can I tell you what I did with my wife's Christmas present this year? I I was giving her something that wasn't very creative, and so I, I decided I would give it to her in a creative way. I thought this was a brilliant idea. And so I came up with a treasure map that had about 15 clues or riddles or puzzles that she could solve. Each clue would lead to the next one. And eventually she would find her pretty mundane gift. (laughs) It took her hours on Christmas to find her gift. She was not nearly as pleased with the game. (laughs) Several times during those hours of studying and Googling and working out math problems. <laughs> she said, why don't you just give it to me? So God, God doesn't do that with us. This, this is not a riddle to solve. This is not a puzzle. I, I was a youth pastor at a church one time. Our senior pastor left and the church was bringing in another guy. He came in, he preached. The church voted unanimously. And so, guess what he did? He stood up and said, I just don't know if this is God's will or not. And we were all just like, what? And so then a week later, um, he didn't give us any indication all week. And so the service was ending. The interim pastor told me as the service was wrapping up, go call him on the phone and and, we make an announcement. So I call him on the phone. This is a week later. And he still didn't know. He said, I'm still trying to figure out God's will. And uh, after that service, I remember our interim pastor who had been a pastor for a very long time, very wise man. He told me, he wouldn't have told anybody else, but he told me, listen, if a man can't figure out God's will in a week, then he's not qualified to be your pastor. And it turned out the guy came two or three weeks later and the words were prophetic. It was an absolute disaster. And um, listen, God's will is not this brain teaser, mysterious treasure hunt, God's will is not mysterious. Certainly there are things uh, that God uh, does not reveal to us. Deuteronomy 29, 29 speaks of the hidden things of the Lord, but those things will never be revealed, it says. The things about God's will that he would have you to know, you can know. He wants you to know. He is eager for you to know. And I cannot wait until next week when we talk specifically about how to determine what is the will of God. So how should we respond to this? Well, I think number one, we should just stand amazed. We should stand amazed at God's will. First of all, that Christ would die for us. Matthew 26, 42, Jesus said, my father, my father, may, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me but not my will be done, your will be done. And and the will of God was revealed. It was affirmed there. The will of God was that Christ would die for our sins. Isn't that amazing? That's the will of God. We should be amazed. We should be amazed that God has sent us the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in decisions that we make and that we have the Word of God that transforms our minds and then the Holy Spirit that that gives us peace and points us in a direction. And we'll learn about that next week. But, But we should be amazed that God not only has willed that we be saved, but God has 
sent his spirit, we should be amazed that God has done so much to reveal his plan and his will for us. The next thing we should do is just to surrender. Surrender first. Listen, church. I know people want to know, what's the will of God? What's the will of God? Should I marry? Should I take the job? Should I buy the boat? Listen, let's go through the first door first. Let's just start with what God has already said about his will. And the rest of it's going to be pretty easy, surprisingly easy. But let's today go through the first door of God's will. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, I'm, I am just amazed that you would say to us that you would show us in your word what your will is. And I want to be, for your honor and glory, I want to be obedient to every piece of that. So, Father, help us today. Help us today to walk through that first door and to know and embrace your clearly revealed word, your clearly revealed will. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.